Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. So, Doxedo Hatfield, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We said last week that for the next season, we're going to be in a series called Real Christianity. We will be preaching through, uh, however long that takes, taking some breaks in between the book of Acts. This historical account written by the doctor, Luke, uh, of the early church and their ups and downs, the nitty gritty of this incredible, incredible story that we call the church. And what happens when real life and real faith and real people meet? That's what we want to get into. Not just being a young church looking to plant in the city, but a young church in this season focusing on moving for Jesus in the city. So open up your Bibles to the book of Acts and let's dive in. Now, I don't know if you've had this in the past. I've had it very often. Uh, you at some social event, some social engagement, and people start speaking about things that you not really clued up on. And you feel out and you feel I'm not cultured, you know, I'm not really in the know. So maybe you've got friends that are real art boffins, you know, maybe they're into abstract art. So I'll show you a picture of number five. Uh, it was done in 1948 by Jackson Pollock. And it sold for a small fee of 1.75 billion rand. I'm sure we could get a whole bunch of vaccines for that amount in 2006. But I'll just be honest, I'm not really cultured. When I look at this, I think I'm sure my kids <laughs> with a little bit of motivation could get it done. We'll pocket a cool billion and move on. So people speak about things like that and you feel out. Or maybe it's Bitcoin. Uh, you know, you're standing around the fire with the boys and they're speaking about, oh, you know, uh, I'm not too sure about the blockchain technology, but I think the advances it'll make and the way that we do transfer and work with information. And you're just standing there like, Guys, coins, I don't know. I've got a couple in my, in my car. How does this work? Was I supposed to invest already? It's, you know, it's super expensive. How is this thing supposed to help us? So you feel out once again. Or maybe it's wine. I've got a whole bunch. Almost all of my friends are like wine connoisseurs. And whenever we're at their place, and maybe not at the moment during this lockdown season, but whenever you are with people like that, you know, they take a sip of wine. And they would say something like, you know, I, I can, I can sense a hint of diffidence and maybe just a bit of tungsten entendre as they, you know, kind of sipping this wine and they give me a sip and I'm like, grapes? I don't know. Red grapes? Like, <laughs> that's the best that I can do. So very often you don't understand the significance of something and it leaves you kind of out. Now there's a moment we're going to look at today as we take another step in the book of Acts. That often feels like that. It's the moment where Jesus ascends back to the Father in his full presence in the heavenly kingdom. And most of us, we're like, listen, I understand the big moments in Jesus' life. You know, three of them take real prominence, his birth, his death, his resurrection. You know, we even have holidays built around those things. You know, you have Christmas, you have Easter, um, and of course, we have Good Friday. So we have these big moments in the Christian ethos, but what is this deal with Jesus floating into the sky? I don't understand what the purpose of it is, but I want to show us that similar to maybe a Jackson Pollock painting or Bitcoin or maybe even wine, if I really want to stretch it, there is actually such incredible things for us to find because we're going to see the thing that actually moved the early disciples from a place of being stuck 
They were stuck in their faith. The thing that moved them into action, as we spoke about last week, Christianity being a movement, it wasn't necessarily the birth or even the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It was this moment, understanding something of his ascension that got them unstuck. What do you do when you get stuck in your faith? Let's read together. Acts 1 verse 6. So after he had said this, this is now from last week, he had commissioned them. He was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes, this is now referencing probably angelic beings, stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So just today for today. And the first question obviously is, listen, why are the disciples staring aimlessly into the sky? And it seems that the answer as we read through the Gospels and as we read through the book of Acts, remembering that Luke, the doctor, he wrote the Gospel according to Luke. And then the follow up to that after Jesus' resurrection, is this the, the book of Acts? That's what we find here is that the disciples were confused. They didn't understand the fullness of what Jesus came to do. So they asking him, listen, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted basically a socio-political leader. Their idea of the Jewish Messiah was someone who would come and rescue them under the thumb from the Romans and they would be released once again. So it was much more political and, and immediate in their mind. So in a sense, they were happy with just an earthly king. But Jesus was so much more. So they were left standing basically like this, just looking up into the sky. Why? Because they didn't understand what Jesus came to do. And the second thing is then to say, well, if this is where it left them, if they were almost stuck in a sense looking into the sky, what posture does that give and you can almost, you know, you can do the same. Maybe just where you're sitting on your couch or in your home, just go like this for a moment. Just imagine them, you know, you're sitting, you're looking into the sky, you're standing there, you're waiting for Jesus to come back. What does this kind of posture remind you of? Does it show you a church that is going, that's running, that's jumping, that's lunging, that's marching? No, it's a church that's what? It's stuck. <laughs> it's not moving. The whole project, the kingdom project that Jesus came to announce, the salvation of mankind, the restoration of our relationship to the Father, the renewing of all things, starting with the hearts of people into the world and into the new creation, all these things, that whole thing came to an absolute standstill because the disciples were stuck. When I am stuck looking into the sky for whatever reason, I am not moving. And everything that God wants to do in and through me has come to a halt. And of course, then the question is, so what changed it all? What is the thing that changed it for the disciples? And the answer that we are given here in this text, it is an understanding of the fact that Jesus ascended. Now, what does the word ascend mean? 
It's got a double meaning. The one side is literally just to move to a higher plane. You can literally ascend, you know, a flight of stairs, or you can ascend with an escalator to the second floor. But the other side of that meaning, to ascend, means to take up a higher office, to take up higher authority. And I think that's what obviously Luke is trying to show us in this highly symbolic moment. Jesus is not just hitching a ride on a cloud. He is trying to symbolize something in this practical action. And we see it similarly in the book of Mark 16 verse 19, where he mirrors this moment in his account of Jesus' life. In verse 16, he says, so the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and what? And sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. And if you read the Old Testament and you actually notice how this idea of sitting at someone's right hand, how it's used, if you know something about Jewish culture, you would know that it's, it's not trying to say that, you know, Jesus went back to some physical home in the clouds and then he saw the father there on a throne and now he's literally sitting next to him. It's making the point that in the ancient Jewish culture, sitting at the host's right hand was a sign of authority. It was a sign of importance. Our son Benjamin, his name means son of my right hand, son of authority and importance. What this moment signifies is that Jesus has taken up that fullness of his role. He is the one who preached and taught about the kingdom, but now he is being put in the place once again of the king of the kingdom. And it's supposed to change something in my perception of what it means to follow Jesus. So in the Old Testament, there were three roles that were connected to a relationship, a a connection with God. It was the priest and the prophet and the king. The, The priests were those who stood in between God and the people and they ministered. The prophets were those who spoke on behalf of God to the people. And the kings were those people who were supposed to lead on behalf of God. And in this moment, we see Jesus ascending to be the final, the ultimate priest, to be the ultimate prophet, the final prophet to the world, and now to take up his role as the king of the kingdom. And guess what? When you get stuck in your faith, maybe you have been stuck in your faith for a long time, season. I have been and I will probably be stuck in my faith many more times in my life. What is the solution? And I submit to you, it's understanding the fact that Jesus is the ascended prophet, priest, and king. So let me give us maybe three things that let, that get us stuck in our faith. And how Jesus is the answer. The first thing, what, what makes me come to a standstill in my life and my faith? And the first thing is what? It's when I mess up. It's when I mess up. It's when you as a guy, when you are looking at pornography. It's when as a husband, you are shouting at your wife. It's when as a, a worker, you are cutting corners and you are being dishonest with your boss. It's, it's when I'm living and I'm, and I'm indulging in the fact that money is all about me. It's when I'm lying to my parents. It's all these different things. It's when I mess up and I have this sinking feeling suddenly, what happens? I look up. 
I look up at the sky. Why? Because I'm convinced that God is angry at me. He's disappointed at me. He thinks I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm not worth it. I'm in trouble. So what happens? I stand there for days, for weeks, sometimes for years, and I don't connect with God anymore. The flow of God working through me and with me. All that God wants to do, I'm no longer moving with God and for God because I'm standing still. I'm looking with a panicked expression in my eyes to the heavens saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm a loser. I'm nothing. I'm the worm. That's what happens because we misunderstand who Jesus is. You know, we had a, a good friend of ours and when she had just gotten saved, she became a Christian. She went on holiday with her boyfriend and they severely stepped over the boundary sexually and she said that she sat on the beach that next day under the umbrella and it wasn't the heat she was sweating because she was so convinced that God wanted to just sort her out he was angry he was he was so brutally angry with her that he was going to sort her out what do I do when I've messed up I need to go to what the ascended priest. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10 verse 12. It says, but this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, we have a picture of God. I'm doing well so I can be in your presence. I'm such a good person. I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I'm, I'm succeeding and all I've messed up. I'm falling back. I'm in old patterns. I'm, I'm connecting with the wrong people again. It's messing up my character. I'm stumbling. I'm struggling. So God, I'll offer sacrifices. I'll give. I'll do better. I'll, I'll go to church. I'll do a reading plan. I'll be a good moral person. I'm offering my sacrifices. But what happens? You never can offer enough. Eventually, you stand still and you are petrified and you're not moving because you are transactional with God instead of seeing the fact that the ascended priest, there is no more sacrifice that we can make as mankind because the priest, the perfect, sinless priest, Jesus, has come and he's not just made an offering. He has given his life as God, as the offering for our sin and brokenness and death. He has come to wrench out of place the hold that sin and the devil and death had over our lives. We do not have to follow down that path anymore because he's freed us. And we hold onto his finished work through faith. It says once and for all, and he sits down once again, that picture of the authority of God, the opinion of God is that those who are in Jesus are now forgiven. They are the children of God. And when I mess up, I run to my father. I don't run away from my father. When you are stuck, you don't need more religiosity. You don't need more good actions. You don't need a pep talk. You need to call out to your priest, Jesus. He has ascended above all that you could ever do wrong. But the second thing that happens, what brings us to a standstill? It's not just messing up, but it's when I forget my calling. It's when I forget my calling. It's when I, I'm running hard for Jesus and I want to follow him passionately in my work, in my relationships, in my marriage, in my singleness. But then I start drifting. Certain things start looking so much better. I just slowly kind of drift into this irrelevant kind of faith. I'm so focused on my career that I push God to the side. 
this new person in my life, this, this near career move that I'm making. All these things suddenly capture my heart and then I'm standing there one day looking into the sky and I feel disillusioned. I might feel incredibly successful in a relationship or in my business, but I feel so disappointed. I feel so empty with my life, with my purpose. What is it all for, God? Why am I here? It feels like I'm just living out my days. There's no purpose anymore, and I'm just standing there. What do I need? I need to listen to the voice of the ascended prophet. The prophets would speak the word of God to the people. And all throughout the Old Testament, we have thousands of years, generations of the prophets speaking on behalf of God. But listen to what Hebrews 1 verse 1 says. It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, what? He has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to us by Jesus, with Jesus, through Jesus. What Jesus came to do is the final word that God is speaking to mankind. And it's the word that he speaks over your life. And if you've started strong and you say, God, I, I'm, the, my worst fear is that I would, one day, you know, I would be 50, 60. Maybe already in your 30s or 40s, you have become this lukewarm Christian. You're satisfied with such a mundane, boring faith. Maybe the answer is that like Mufasa having to tell Simba, you have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten your calling. You've not been called to mediocrity. You've been called to step up for God and represent his kingdom. God says in Genesis 1, I make you in my image and likeness. We are here to not just know God, but to represent God in every facet of life. This is what Switchfoot sings when they say, we were made for so much more, but what? But we lost ourselves. I lost myself in sex. I lost myself in my career. I lost myself in my spouse. It's just the two of us. That's all that matters. And I lose the fact that God has called me to great things, not for my sake, for his sake. I'm not meant to live just for Sundays, not just meant to live day in, day out, just breathing, just existing. I am meant to be a a city changer, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That's his calling. And when I forget his calling upon my life, I'm just standing there. Nothing is happening. You see, I have to realize that the ascension of Jesus, the word that he speaks, it's supposed to impact me in some way. It's supposed to change the direction of my life. Now, I've used that example before. Maybe I pitch up to church and now just for our recording. Maybe I'm like, I'm like an hour late and I pitch up here and I tell the guys, oh guys, I'm so sorry, I'm late Uh, You know, I was on the highway and I just got a flat tire. Can you believe it? And as I exit my vehicle, I'm about to change this tire. A truck, can you believe it? Like a big moving truck just drove right over me. Just like that. So, you know, I'm I'm late. I'm an hour late. Of course, like we always say with an example, that's ridiculous. If a truck drove over you on the highway, you would not be an hour late. You would be eternally late. (laughs) Why? Because a truck will impact your life. And yet we say such silly things about faith in Jesus. 
That when I become a child of God through faith in Jesus, I become a disciple, a Jesus follower. I've put my hope and my faith and my trust in Him. I've been saved. I've been transformed. Instead of saying something changes, I say, Jesus, I want you. And now my life just kind of goes on as normal. Nothing changes. That's ridiculous, the book of Acts says. If Jesus is the final word spoken over your life, whatever was spoken before now has to change. The direction of my life changes. The the dreams of my life changes. The words over my life change. My value, my identity, everything is impacted by Jesus. So to have statements like, you know, I am a follower of Jesus, but I don't see any need to be part of the church. You know, fellowship's not ready for me. The people of God's not for me. That doesn't make any sense. To say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't, I, I won't forgive those who wrong me. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't mind getting drunk over the weekends. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't believe in sharing my faith with others. I think you should just keep it to yourself. Just be private with it. I, I believe in Jesus, but I, I just continue to sleep with my girlfriend and we've moved in together. I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to get baptized. I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to be generous with my money. It's my money. It's my time. None of those things make sense. Because the ascended Jesus, maybe if the Jesus that you serve is so small and so insignificant, that he's just a little Bible story. He's just like a little a kid's Bible. And he's just like a little habit that you pick up once or twice in a year. Maybe he's a nice advisor in your life. You know, he's about one in 20 advisors around the boardroom of your heart. And he tries to get the saying, oh, oh, I think we should do this. Every now and then you throw Jesus a bone. Okay, we'll consider that Jesus, but sit down again. But if he is the ascended prophet, the the final word of God over your life, you can never say that. He is not one of the advisors. He is the boardroom. He's not one of my the irons that I have in my fire. He is the fire. What he says goes. Tim Keller says that if your God never challenges you, you are probably worshiping a God formed in your own image. Is the Jesus that I worship, the ascended one, that changes everything about my life. When I get stuck losing my calling, do I run to the one who speaks a new word over me? A word of truth, of healing, of vocation, of calling. You have a calling from Jesus. And COVID-19, South African politics, death in the family, whatever you're going through at the moment, it does not alter the word of God over your life. But the final thing I think that brings us to a standstill, we are stuck. And how do we get unstuck? Is when I get overwhelmed by circumstances. When I get overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, it's when I, I, I realize, God, why did this happen? I didn't sign up for this. How did we end up here? Why did this person have to pass away? Why did this person leave me? Why did I lose my job? And I stand there and I'm trying to figure it out. God, where are you? Are you in a lunch break? Are you still there? Are you still good? And I'm standing still for days, for weeks, for months, for years. I'm stuck because circumstances have overwhelmed me. And what do I need in that moment? I've told you guys before about the fact that I put so much of my identity and my hope for my future in my parents' company when we grew up. 
in their house, it was this booming business. They were doing so well. I put all my chips into it. So the day that that thing disappeared overnight, go bankrupt, sequestration, the whole deal. That day, something so fundamentally changed in my heart because I was stuck. I stay, I, you know, I was standing there with my, with my eyes to the sky. I couldn't move for God or with God anymore. Something had to change. And what was that? I had to understand that Jesus was not just a king, but he was the ascended king who rules above and over and even through the brokenness of the world. So read here with me in Acts 1. It says here, they asked him, Jesus, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? So what? They want to know, are you that kind of king? And what does he say to them? He says, it's not for you to know the times of the period that the father has said by his own, what? Authority. By his authority, God says, you know what? This is the reality you're going to wrestle with all throughout the Bible. You would see it everywhere. That broken things happen and that God is still authority over it. That God is still authoritatively leading over and through and even in the brokenness of our world. I have to run to the fact that Jesus is the ascended king and he will turn all things broken to my good. He will work with me and through me even in these broken moments. So what do I do when life feels overwhelming? Man, I just want things to change right now, God. Please change this right now. But listen, I love this passage in Colossians. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he says to them, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you what? You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. And then he says, your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and what you will overflow with thankfulness. Man, that's what I want. I want such trust in my king over my marriage, over my children, over my life, over this country, that even in the most broken and hurting times when I feel stuck standing with my eyes into the sky, that I would rather say, God, I'm overflowing with thankfulness. Why? Because you remain the king. You remain the one in authority. But Paul says, how do we get there? That's not an overnight thing. It's not a microwavable thing to grow in that kind of thankfulness and maturity. No, he says what in verse six? It's a continuation of our salvation. He says here, just as you accepted Christ, continue. So it's not that, you know, I come to this place of absolute brokenness in my life. I'm at at the very end of my rope and I say, Jesus, I need you. I call out to you. And Jesus, so faithful, he saves and redeems and restores and appoints and he commissions me. And then now I get to work. It's all me. It's all doing. It's all religion. It's all this effort. No, it's the same power, the same energy, the same grace that was at work in my salvation is the continuation of my life. Hold on to the power and the finished work of Jesus, even when your life is falling apart. Even when things are tough, it's that same Jesus, the same King Jesus that I hold on to. 
The gospel, the good news of Jesus can't just be some prayer that I prayed many years ago when I was in high school or my first year or maybe five years ago in Hatfield or something like that. I prayed a prayer and that's the gospel. No, the gospel has to be the thing that I live in today. One preacher always says, it's not the springboard of the Christian faith, it's the pool. It's the thing that I dive into and I say, God, every day, well, your good news, the fact that you are the king and the savior, will that strengthen me, hold me? I want to continue in who you are. But also he says it's slow and steady, Paul says. That kind of holding onto the king, growing in maturity, being thankful in everything, it's slow and steady. He says, let your roots grow down into him. And what? Let your lives be built on him. Beautiful pictures, what, of a plant growing and of a building growing up. And if you were to look at those things in real time, if you look at a plant, you know, you sit there looking at a plant growing, it's pretty boring. If you're looking at a construction site, you know, there's a guy walking, one guy's hammering in something, but you don't see the fullness. But when you have a time lapse of both, you see that plant just erupting out of the ground. You see this building just, just taking form. It's beautiful. And then you realize maybe this week or today or this month or this year that feels so overwhelming, maybe it's just one small second in the beautiful story that God will write over my life. Don't give up on the king when the brokenness and the sin of this world overwhelms you. He is still the one in authority. We get stuck But the way to get unstuck is not to try harder, it's to trust in Jesus who ascended above our sin and brokenness as our priest, who ascended above the fact that we lose our calling sometimes and we get distracted as the ascended prophet and who ascended above the fact that the world can be unfair and broken, it can hurt. We have to believe in him. And you know the effect that that has? It's this, when Luke writes about this moment of ascension here in Acts, he just says, you know, after this, that they return to Jerusalem. We'll speak about that next week. He just leaves it there. But he gives us more detail in his previous work, the book of Luke, where he says, and while he was blessing them, he left them and he was carried up into heaven. Now listen to the detail. It says, after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem, what? With great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. What had happened? The disciples suddenly realized something. If this Jesus is who he says he is, and the words they use with their own eyes they saw, the Dr. Luke is trying to show us, this is not some symbolic little fairy tale. This happened. This was a true moment. They saw this with their own eyes. When the penny dropped, what happened? The joy came into their heart continually they went on praising God. If the gospel of the ascended king and prophet and priest Jesus has not taken root in your heart, then life is difficult. But as Tim Keller says, the operating principle of religion is I obey and therefore I'm accepted. But the operating principle of the gospel, the good news is I am accepted in Jesus, therefore I obey. Real change begins, not with you being told what you are to do for God, but believing what God has done for you. Jesus is who he says he is. Hold on to him. 
If you are stuck, Jesus is the way to get unstuck. That's real Christianity. Amen.